think that companies should uh, should get involved. I think they should definitely train their people, and I think that they're going to see the return on that investment, um, especially in the next probably five years. I think we'll see mm. a lot more of these sort of you know ransomware attacks. We'll see a lot more of these sort of phishing attempts. We're already seeing an increase. Hello and welcome to Fishy Business, a series dedicated to exploring the lesser known side of cybersecurity. I'm not Alice, she's off today, but I'm Laura, I'm the producer of this podcast. And I'm Brian and we're colleagues at Mimecast. I don't think we've actually done an episode together, Laura. No. Every, <laughs> every episode will be joined by a special visitor, or in this case visitors who are definitely not your average guests, to share tales of risk, reward and sometimes ridiculousness. We'll be looking for new ways to think about cybersecurity, to learn how we can all improve in the fight to stay safe. So Laura, what do you think is the biggest challenge facing the cybersecurity industry? Oh, I know, fighting cyber criminals. Well, I mean, obviously that, but apart <laughs> from the obvious, I would say it's a skills shortage. The last stat I read on this was that there was a gap of more than 2.7 million positions and the 2021 ISC squared cybersecurity workforce study estimates the global cybersecurity workforce needs to grow by 65% to effectively defend organizations' critical assets. I think those numbers are absolutely staggering. Um, and that's what we're talking about today and why we've invited Shanaz Abraham from uh, African financial services provider, APSA, to tell us about the APSA Cybersecurity Academy, along with one of their students, Cohen Jacobs. Uh, the Academy is a corporate social responsibility initiative aimed at empowering marginalized South African youths to become certified cybersecurity specialists. It's a partnership with the Maharishi Institute, which is a non-profit private college and self-development organization in Johannesburg that helps young people access education. Wow, that's uh, quite an incredible mouthful, but I think that's um, <laughs> sort of well played because it's actually an incredible initiative indeed. So welcome, Shanaz and Kerwin. Um, Shanaz, I think we'll start with you. We always like to simplify things a little bit to get to know our guests. Um, how would you explain the Academy and your role to somebody at a dinner party? At the Cybersecurity Academy, we remain strong on a singular purpose, and that purpose is to make a meaningful difference in the lives of the South African youth. And that is why I wake up every single morning by giving the most marginalized among them the opportunity of a lifetime while closing the global, the global shortage gap of cybersecurity skills. And maybe let's talk about you for a second, Kerwin. Um, if we were, if you were to meet someone at a, at a restaurant or at someone's house for dinner or something, how would you describe what you're studying at the academy? Um, the way that I usually describe it is literally just that we are learning how to protect them um, from any kinds of bad guys online um, who probably want to hack them and steal their information. Um, and so, so that really, I think, is is what we're doing is we're learning how to protect people from online baddies. You know. Shinaz, could you start by telling us why APSA um, started this academy? Was there a specific um, incident that realized that you needed to address the um, cybersecurity skills gap? So fortunately, um, when we responded to this, there was no specific incident uh, that triggered this. However, with the high levels of unemployment, poverty and high crime rates, security consciousness is a fundamental survival skill. South Africa's youth 
I feel is an untapped pool of natural cybersecurity talent. The APSA cybersecurity has begun to tap into this talent pool with very promising results. Some really great work is being done not just in cybersecurity, but more broadly in kind of tertiary education, those sorts of things by the Maharishi Institute. Why did you make the decision to establish your academy at the Maharishi Institute? And what was it about this organization that made them a good fit for what you're trying to achieve? Dr. Taddy Blatcher and his team are consistently working on developing more sustainable means to help unemployed youth in South Africa gain access to transferable skills through education, training, jobs, and, career, and careers, thereby breaking the poverty cycle. So speaking of, of purpose and the Maharishi Institute, um, Kerwin, can I ask you what you love most about studying there and maybe what's the more sort of challenging bits? The most challenging bits um, undoubtedly is just the uh, sheer volume of, of work that needs to be done sometimes um, because it is a sort of a holistic um, education opportunity, right? We've got various parts besides just learning the technical skills. I mean, so there is some component of self-development work that needs to happen, um, and that usually um, happens in a very sort of academic setting because that's essentially content that's taught straight from the, the Maharishi International University, right? Um, but it's also great because you get to learn so, so much about yourself through that whole process, um, getting to learn transcendental meditation, for example. Um, that was probably the least work that needed to be done, but um, just the benefits out of that has also been amazing. Um, and then the other part which I would say is quite challenging it's just sort of managing your time because um, because there is so much to learn especially within IT especially when you're speaking about certifications um, you know like the computer A plus Cisco cyber ops CCNA um, pen test plus like when you look at those qualifications certifications there's literally so much that needs to be covered um, and very often you don't need to really know it in depth but as someone who's going into the field, um, and especially as students at the academy, we also sort of put this pressure on ourselves that we want to actually really, really know what we're doing, right? Mm. Um, and given that we're online, given that we're learning all of these skills literally like this, like on Teams every day, right? Um, it often, we, we challenge ourselves, I think more than anything else, um, to try to learn how to do um, these things practically, et cetera, in so many ways. So um, for me, that would probably be the biggest challenge is us learning when it's time to, okay, just switch off. <laughs> we don't need to be working all that hard all the time. Um, but I think then the, on, the, on the flip side to that, the benefit is obviously getting to learn these amazing in-demand skills, um, getting to learn transcendental meditation, um, which is also why we have all of this energy to be able to do all of these things. Um, and then, uh, of course, just the sort of camaraderie and family that comes from it, because we all sort of just see this as a mutual struggle. And um, in many ways, we just keep like lifting each other up and keep each other motivated you know to keep going um, and I think that's probably the biggest like positive for me that's come out of it is that um, in, I always sort of say I have a, a second family now. Shanaz and, and Kerwin I just want to touch on something there you know when you talk about things like transcendental meditation um, I actually um, had the privilege of visiting the Maharishi Institute in, in uh, Johannesburg a number of years ago and initially I was sort of a little bit skeptical they kind of came in with <laughs> what some people might consider a slightly airy fairy approach but once they uh -huh. explained 
the context and why that's so important to the types of people that are doing the course and the value that it brings to the people. Um, was that part of why ABSA chose them? Is, is that so, or, or did you guys also have to kind of wrap your head around that a little bit first? Because really what you're after is a technical certification, but here you've got people mm. saying, hey, we, we want to teach transcendental meditation as part of this. I mean, how did you guys feel about that? So, I mean, I've heard Dr. Taddy sort of speak about it before. Um, in fact, when I joined the program, it was because of Dr. Taddy's speech at APSA. Um, and I mean, same, very much the same, like, you know, what is the point? Like, why are we spending 20 minutes in a day having to meditate? Like, no, but I also think that probably the case that he, he continues to make for it is that because all of our students or most of our students come from um, a background um, that is quite violent. So in terms of what we've experienced in our communities, um, in our own lives um, and in various spaces um, and understanding that TM is a, a, a component in trying to help release that sort of trauma, to release the sort of stress that comes with that in order to be the best student that is possible, right? Like, I think that's probably, and, and Shanaz needs to answer for Afsa on that, <laughs> but I'm assuming that that's really what was quite a big um, reason for why they actually partnered with them in the end, because it's, it's, it's one thing to teach people skills. It's another thing for those people to actually be able to take on those skills and be in an environment where they can take on those skills. Um, and that's what TM allows us to be able to do is that despite all of whatever is going on around us is that we can still actually, you know, find calm, find center and actually still be able to function and function really well. Okay, and I believe you've also recently partnered with, and I hope I get the pronunciation correct here, the Hein Wagner Academy to to extend this program to the visually impaired. I'm struggling talking about getting, trying to wrap my head around this, uh, trying, trying to sort of get an idea of how someone who's visually impaired could work in cybersecurity. I mean, could you please just tell us a bit more about uh, that partnership? It's always made me sad that so many blind South Africans firstly do not have the financial means, um, but also are struggling with a sight impairment, right, um, to acquire te technology, technology as well as being able to afford quality training. Right, because you have to agree that this is a very niche market that we that we are delivering this um, training to. So whilst we're giving them the opportunity, right, we are also um, bridging the gap into the sight impaired world. Right. Um, I mean, when you speak to Dr. when you speak to Hein Wagner, the CEO of the academy, whom we've partnered with on this journey, um, you know, he's also absolutely centered around how important this is and around giving the opportunity to the sight impaired. In September of 2021, we launched our very first sight impaired cybersecurity academy in partnership with the Hein Wagner Academy. We are in, we, we currently have 10 learners that are on this program and they are on, on a trajectory of a three-year program. Fantastic. That's Absolutely wonderful. I think that's the first program I've ever heard that would do that. Um, can I ask both of you, as a non-South African, you can probably tell from my accent, um, <laughs> I when I was re researching um, the wonderful program that, that you do, um, there was some mention around, you know, the the specificity of the background that you, that, for example, Cohen, you come from, and, and a suggestion that it's almost a benefit. Could you explain, potentially, to non-South Africans like me, why you would say that? 
I think, you know, growing up, um, we learn a lot of things um, non-formally, right? So these are the things we learned from family, from friends, from school, um, and I mean outside of the classroom. Um, so for me personally, right, growing up as a queer person, for example, is something that's often very, very frowned upon, especially in South Africa. Um, and, you know, you learn to navigate around the world because you realize that the world is not going to adapt to you necessarily anytime soon. So you learn how to adapt um, you learn certain social skills, you learn things like how to, you know, engage with different people, um, you know, maybe you might need protection from somebody that's going to be bigger than you. So you'll figure out a way to convince that person to protect you from whoever is trying to bully you, for example, right? But in doing that, you've learned a key technical skill, which is social engineering, right? You've essentially learned how to get someone to do something for you in order to protect you from your environment. And this extends beyond just obviously that example of bullying. It comes down to um, learning or seeing how systems just work with one another and what is wrong with them and how they can be improved. Because essentially that is what cybersecurity or, or what we do as cybersecurity security analysts, right, is we view systems, we check which parts of them can be exploited, and we then form sort of um, solutions to those. So it's just sort of the mindset is mainly or mostly already there for a lot of us. Um, and I think that's also what helps us to understand sort of the, the concepts within the field a lot easier, a lot better. Yeah. Do you think companies potentially could look to train staff internally, sort of maybe do some sort of aptitude test for some of their, their employees who might have yeah. a natural aptitude for it and then sort of build into um, an, an internal training program to sort of recruit people into the profession because I feel that maybe yeah. maybe some people feel that cybersecurity is like a dark art and you have to be this hacker <laughs> to get in, you know. Um, has that demystified it for you and what do you think companies can do to uh, plug the skills gap? Yeah, so um, I 100% agree with you um, because I think cybersecurity still has this sort of um, or ethical hacking in general. Like, I mean, just when you say that, like it's got this brand of, yeah. okay, he's going to be wearing a hoodie. He's going to be sitting in some <laughs> coffee shop looking all shady in some corner and stealing my credit card information, right? So that's that's just a branding like thing. When we think hacker, we think whatever is in the movies, right? You're thinking Mr. Robot, 500 words per second, <laughs> you know, going, go, boom, boom, in, right? But that's really not what cybersecurity is. So just in terms of how people view it and what companies can do around that, I think they have a role to play there. I think that they, they definitely have a role personally, and this is a personal opinion of mine when it comes to workplaces. I do think that workplaces do need to be looking internally, and I think that they should be looking at who is within my organization and how do we equip them for themselves to be able to get better, right? How do we equip them to improve within their roles or to expand sort of vertically into other roles mm. within a company, right? So I think that's incredibly, incredibly important. How can companies do that? Um, I don't know if psychometric <laughs> testing is the best way. <laughs> and the reason for that is because I think that if you're going to take someone from beginning to end and train them as a cybersecurity analyst like myself and the rest of the students have been, right, a lot of us have never been in a 
computer-related field, right? We haven't even been thinking we're going to go into some computer-related field. Um, it was literally just an opportunity that presented itself, right? So I think that sometimes, yes, there is obviously an element of like technical skills, et cetera, et cetera, that needs to be, you know, acquired. But I think that if you take someone who is willing to learn, like that person is 100% going to do way better than anyone that maybe tests really well psychometrically, but actually has no real interest in what they're doing, right? I think that's just like a natural sort of phenomenon mm -hmm. is that when you love what you do, you're going to actually do better at it. So 100%, I think that companies should, uh, should get involved. I think they should definitely train their people. And I think that they're going to see the return on that investment, um, especially in the next probably five years, I think we'll see a lot more of these sort of, you know, ransomware attacks. We'll see a lot more of these sort of phishing attempts. We're already seeing an increase. And I think Shanaz absolutely recognized this as an opportunity very, very early on. And and as a sort of a gap to be filled is, is this realizing that, you know, Africa presents this opportunity to be the cybersecurity skills hub. You, you spoke about this a little bit at the beginning, but if you look at sort of, first of all, the skills gap and the high unemployment rates on the continent, you know, in theory, they provide the perfect opportunity to, to address the shortage and provide job opportunities at the same time. But the question really is, do you think this is starting to happen beyond just, I mean, I'll, I'll give you one another example, but I mean, this is just two, is Mimecast has a graduate program and we're also looking at building out a, um, a support and a cybersecurity support hub outside of, of you know, using South Africa as the primary locus of, of that support hub. But that's just two examples. Are you starting to see this sort of grow and, and take wings in, in other organizations? Are you finding people in other organizations reaching out to you, that sort of thing? So no doubt we do have a gap that needs to be closed. The interesting part that I'm seeing to come seeing come through is there are organizations outside of APSA as well as business units internal to APSA that are now approaching us to say, come and talk to us about your, your cybersecurity academy. How can you start building those skills so that we can also hire these people into our business? So that is one fruit bearing internally to APSA that we are starting to see come through. And secondly, a lot of organizations and business units are starting to approach us to talk to us about, tell us how you built this and how you can come and do the same for us. So just to build on that, Shanaz, I'd be interested to, to hear about the, the, the results since you've launched the academy. For example, you know, how many people have you got enrolled in the course? The first academy was launched in 2018, right? And that was to include unemployed, marginalized, and disadvantaged youth, okay, on our three-year program. We have 70 learners in total on the program. The 20 learners that will be graduating at, at the end of August of this year, they would have completed a three-year national qualification on an NQF level four, up to NQF level six. They have also obtained several international certifications. The year three learners will be joining the APSA CSO teams within the next few weeks for workplace experience and allow our teams to interact, mentor, and get to know our learners before any positions are made available to them. Our, our goal, however, is to absorb these learners into permanent roles. I think that's fantastic. And I mean, maybe Kerwin, on a, on a personal level, could you maybe let us know the impact this opportunity has had on your life and, and maybe those around you? 
Yeah, for sure. So, um, I mean, when I started this program, right, um, you know, in, in, in many ways, I was going through a very, very rough time. Um, I followed what seems to be a very typical cycle in South Africa. So um, I'd had the chance to go to university. Um, I was very involved in, in the Fees Must Fall movement at the time, and then I dropped out because of, um, well, fees, ironically enough. Um, and then I, I sort of landed up in the cycle of working in various call centers or in various um, sales positions, so literally door-to-door -door sales. Um, that's what I was doing before joining um, the academy. So in many ways, there, there wasn't really, if I could speak about a career path, if I could speak about um, you know, what I'm going to be doing like with my life, it was very undefined. It was literally, I will cycle through these call centers and whoever is paying me the most at that time, I'll be there, you know. Um, but having joined the academy and having gained these skills, um, and it's funny because we were speaking about this with my with my family yesterday at, at, um, for Freedom Day, um, understanding the, the level or the amount of freedom that's coming from this, not just in a financial sense, um, but in in a, in a sense of I am very much more structured in where I'm headed in my career path, right? I actually have a career path to begin with, <laughs> you know. Um, I I have an idea for for within the space things that I'd like to achieve, um, and I'm also super super excited, as are the rest of my colleagues um, in second year at least, um, to actually join the APSA family and to you know be contributing within the cybersecurity space. So for a lot of us, it's completely changed the path of our lives that we were on. It's put us on sort of a very stable course, um, and it's opened up so many more opportunities that we didn't even know necessarily existed at the time. So um, yeah, that's that's pretty much the kind of impact it's been. And they're literally people that are raising families that are also going through this learnership and they actually have some kind of form of income in the interim. It's not much, right, in terms of the stipend and so on, but it's something that at least they can live off um, beyond them actually gaining the, the, the skills to then later on have a way, way greater impact as sort of a breadwinner, et cetera, within the family. Do you have any specific stories that maybe jump out at you that you maybe tell to other people when you're just kind of having a a relaxed conversation about this about someone who's you know really kind of benefited from from this program that's in your in your group? It's funny because you could speak about like literally anyone in my here group, and it will be like that's so inspirational. Like, <laughs> how did you even manage to do that, right? Because it's just what happens when you when you choose people from communities that are as rough as some of, of, of these communities that we've found. But there's literally someone that went from being involved in gangsterism and potentially like moving up in that sort of um, path of life, right? Um, who was able to completely leave that life, right? Choose not to be a gangster, even though that is sort of a, a common community trait in a lot of sort of Cape Colored communities. Um, and they've actually been able to to completely turn their life around in that regard and not become sort of a gangster and end up, you know, um, being part of the problem. That that inspires me because like those are people's stories that, you know, they're facing such incredible odds, but somehow every single day, like they're in class, they're doing their thing, they're getting their says, they're working hard at night, they're working hard, like flat out. Um, and they've been able to change their lives and they are still changing their lives going forward. Um, and Shinaz, um, I 
I can't imagine working um, for something that is so worthwhile um, in the academy. I would love to. I think it would just brighten my day uh, or my work day or even just my life. Um, could you share with us uh, maybe what, what your proudest moment has been while working uh, for the academy? My proudest moment, I would have to say, is getting to work with these learners. Okay, I couldn't agree with, with Cohen more. Everyone has a story. Okay, um, you know, when we launched, when we stood in, in APSA Towers and we launched our very first academy, we, it was had to be the proudest moment that we could get these learners on a journey that would absolutely change their life. Okay. Um, I do believe that we are not changing one person's life with, with the work we are doing, right? Um, but we are changing a family. Okay. And it might seem small by even giving our learners a stipend, it gives them op an opportunity for a better future. And yes, thank you so much to both of you for taking the time to speak with us today. It's it's incredibly inspiring. You know, I'm, this is not the first time I've been exposed to the APSA Academy and I'm still feeling inspired. So we always like to end our episodes by asking our guests three simple questions. So Shanaz, looking back over your career, what is the one insight you wished you'd learnt sooner that you would go back and tell your younger self? The opportunity to build an academy sooner. <laughs> I had wished there's there's a history of how the academy started within within APSA, and it wasn't an easy it wasn't an easy journey, right? Had I known that we would have the skills gap um, of cybersecurity skills that we have at the moment. I would have loved to have started this journey in APSA sooner. Wonderful. And Cohen, I know that you've got your whole career ahead of you. Um, so um, maybe maybe we don't do the risk, re the retrospect, but <laughs> do you have any major learning so far? Coffee, coffee, coffee <laughs> is the answer. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, Bahia, Bahia Sali, she's one of the, I would say, co-founders of the program. Um, and on the very first day, like day one of the academy, when we started, she said very simple phrase, which is, and I quote, be planted, not buried, end quote. And for me, that has stuck with me throughout this entire journey. And I've seen literally how important it is um, to, do, to do that every day, like being grounded and fully committed to everything while still soaking up and learning as much as possible. Like it speaks just to like everything I think that one needs for success in terms of mindset, in terms of motivation, in terms of dedication, like that for me, like stand out, be planted, not buried. Um, and the last thing that I think I've learned is just ask. You're never gonna know what the answer is until you ask. Wow, and those are actually better answers than uh, some of our guests who've been working for 20 or 30 years in some cases. But <laughs> I'm quite fascinated to hear your answer to the next one, Kern, because I'm going to start with you. And we've we've had some really interesting yeah. responses from some guests. But what are you reading or listening to at the moment? Is And is there anything that you'd recommend to our listeners? Okay, cool. So I am shamelessly going to plug myself. <laughs> So I, I I I sort of launched a little record label while sort of during this process. So I have an artist and um, his name is Alex Lekay. 
Um, and we've released an EP late last year. Um, it's music that I think is really, really beautiful. It's sort of very neo soul sort of vibes, um, you know. So I don't know if anybody has just recently had a heartbreak, go listen to the album. <laughs> <laughs> you have to send um, us the link. We will, we will I'll plug into. I'll send you guys the link. There are two books that I have read, and those have been with me like they're in my arsenal, like all the time. Um, in fact, three. I'm going to add one more. Um, the first one is called Anti-Fragile, um, and that's by um, Nassim Nicholas Talib. He's a very well-known economist. Um, and, and the core of it is basically just, you know, not just being resilient, but, you know, coming or getting through challenges and becoming better through them. Um, the next book, very, very typical, but also the only book I've actually read cover to cover, which is Steve Jobs's um, biography by Walter Isaacson. Um, and the last book is The Art of War by Sun Tzu. Um, I think those three books, those are my all time favorites. Um, yeah. And you should um, you know, being surrounded by incredible individuals that I am on the academy, and you could see by my colleagues, um, you know, I mean, you could see by by Kerwin, I definitely need to always up my reading game. So I'm more of a reader. Um, currently, I'm centering myself on everything um, that the Center for Internet Security makes available, and I'm currently on version eight of four of the CSI controls. Child, that's wild. You're basically studying for our exams. Shanaz, <laughs> <laughs> when you're not reading um, cybersecurity textbooks, <laughs> where do you think, could you let us know, where do you think uh, we will be this time next year in terms of addressing the skills gap? My personal hope is to scale the academy. Yeah. And I'm always thinking of ways to do that. And I'm getting a thumbs up from Kerwin. So I'm clearly, uh, I'm, I'm constantly um, in stakeholder management mode of how we can scale our academy, right? And I'm hoping that when we talk again next year, I don't only tell you that I have 70 students, but I aim for a whopping 300 students. Wow, ambitious goal. <laughs> Kerwin, um, from what you're seeing, and what you're learning in your textbooks, what do you think, wh where do you think we'll be with managing the, the cyber threat landscapes? Um, and do you think the industry will have enough resources to compete against the bad guys? There are sort of a lot of tasks that I think over the next year in particular will be more automated in the industry. Um, I think that a lot of the things that are very labor intensive are going to be taken over by those sort of AI systems that we um, or that are being developed within the field. Um, I think people will become more conscious and equipped on how to protect themselves online. I think um, we're already seeing that sort of happen. Um, they'll know more about how to protect themselves sort of digitally. And then in the coming year, I think we'll see more skills development programs like these, or at least even if we don't see them, I'm hoping for them. <laughs> um, that that more companies, um, more banks, more private sector, more government um, funded programs like these academies um, pop up. Have resources to deal with the baddies. Um, I think we do. 
I think we do. It's 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 a tricky one because I think that with many things, especially in South Africa, there are so many resources, places to go, um, things that you can access. But the thing is, if you don't know about those things, you'll never be able to access those resources, right? So I think that the resources are there. I think they are resources available. I think it's liberating those, um, getting them to the people that need them. Um, and I think in that way, um, you know, a lot of companies just need to follow the MII and APSA sort of model um, and, and just sort of, you know, start more of these academies. And I think um, that will hopefully we'll see a lot more of over the next little while. And finally, Shanaz, where can our listeners learn more about the APSA Cybersecurity Academy and possibly look to get involved or, or look to emulate you? So we do have a website um, available. I'm very happy to share that link. Um, and there's everything with regards to about our academy, how to get involved, and also how to apply. It is on our APSA homepage, so it can be found at www.apsa.co.za. Wonderful. Well, thank you both so much. It was a total pleasure to speak to you today. And thank you all so much to our listeners for joining us on this week's Fishy Business. It's been a pleasure to have you with us. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you're hearing this, and feel free to follow us on Twitter at Mimecast if you'd like to learn more about what we discussed today. Until next time. <laughs>